Newsmakers is a production of Wisconsin Eye. To keep programs like this free and accessible to all, please consider a charitable gift to wisi.org slash donate or text WISI to 44321. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. As legislators and the public debate ways to manage a projected $7.1 billion budget surplus, advocacy groups from around Wisconsin are in the Capitol advocating for their priorities. Today we are sitting down with two advocacy organizations to hear what they are talking to legislators about and their vision for Wisconsin's future. We welcome Chris Reeder, Executive Vice President for the Institute for Reforming Government, and William Mark Sutherland, the Senior Health Policy Analyst at Kids Forward. Welcome to you both. Great. Thank you, Lisa. Happy to be here. So we know in a biennial budget year, groups like yours are in the Capitol, hoping that their proposals make it into that final biennial budget process. One thing that's different this year is that budget surplus. How is that changing your conversations or maybe even your planning for what you're asking for? Well, you know, I think that, um, well, one, thank you for having us here. I'm glad to be here with you. Um, you know, I think for us, the main priority is that public resources should be invested in ways that benefit all of us. Um, and at Kids Forward, you know, we believe that a state budget needs to make opportunity possible for all children and families, not just those who have historically benefited. So when you look at a budget where this surplus is on the table, does that change the way that you're planning or how you're going into offices? Well, it certainly makes it easier to talk to lawmakers about what our priorities are. Not that we want them to increase spending. We don't. We think we should take a hard look at keeping spending in check, if not come in lower than past budgets have been. But it makes it easier just to have that discussion uh, when we talk about $7 billion that, that was not accounted for, that taxpayers weren't expecting to come out of their pockets. Uh, it's, it's a chance to really talk about how do we give that back? How do we invest some of it into those priorities um, that will help uplift all Wisconsinites? So we obviously know we're in a deeply divided state. Our elections show that. Uh, in some ways, your organizations represent some of the differing views that Wisconsinites have. I want to share your uh, mission statements from your organization so we can get a sense for kind of where you're coming from. The Institute for Reforming Government's mission, IRG's main focus will be to remove the onerous barriers and red tape separating the individual from an efficient and functioning government. We'll work to remove the stumbling blocks that have created a slow-moving, expansive behemoth of governance that works against the will of the people. Then Kids Forward mission, Kids Forward inspires action and promotes access to opportunity for every kid, every family, and every community in Wisconsin, notably children and families of color and those furthest from opportunity. We advocate for effective, long-lasting solutions that break down barriers to success for children and families. Um, William, let's start a little bit with Kids Forward. Kids Forward has a long history in Wisconsin. I was looking, its roots go back to 1881 um, with a focus on expanding public investments. Tell us a little bit more about the modern work of Kids Forward. Sure. So, you know, 
like you said, um, you know, Kids Forward believes in removing barriers um, to access and opportunity, notably for children and families of color and others for some opportunity. And we need to do that by making investments. We, you know, we can't cut our way to prosperity. We need to focus on those who have historically been left out. We need to address our state's stark racial disparities. We need to create a budget, again, like I said, that makes opportunity possible for all kids and families. We need a tax system that means wealthy people pay their fair share. And we need access to, we need to increase access to quality, affordable health care. We need to um, reform and invest in an equitable and accessible and affordable child care system in the state. Um, lastly, we need to work on um, transforming youth justice so that it works for both making communities safer and meeting the needs of young people where they're at. Chris, the Institute for Reforming Governors, uh, Government is an, a newer organization established in 2018. Why was there a need for uh, IRG organization in Wisconsin? Yeah, I, I think as folks looked around the country and we looked here in Wisconsin, there was just really this, this belief that we needed an organization to help uh, put forward ways that people can achieve the American dream here in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, using, using tax reform, making sure that people are able to keep and put money that they earn into their own families, uh, fixing education, but really making sure that Wisconsin, uh, again, is a place where families can achieve the American dream, but also that we reform Wisconsin to be a place that other people from outstate, outside of Wisconsin who might be looking to move are able to look at Wisconsin and say, yeah, I c I c we can make it there, we can achieve what we want to achieve there. Uh, so it was really to help drive Wisconsin into that national discussion of how do we become one of those states that people want to move to. Uh, we talked about that $7.1 billion projected surplus. If you had to narrow uh, Kids Forward priorities to your top two for use of that surplus, how would, you, how would you talk about that? Yeah, so I think the most important thing, you know, at Kids Forward is that public resources should be invested in ways that benefit all of us and not just those who have historically benefited. I've said that, I think, three times. Um, we, you know, we need to make childcare more accessible and more affordable. Um, we need to invest um, in children by prioritizing mental health and maternal health. Um, we should look at tax credits. We should look at tax cuts. Um, but we need to make sure that those benefit working families. Like, Do you have dollar amounts on those top two priorities in terms of what you think needs to be invested? You know, I think that um, the governor's um, suggestions around mental health is a good start. Um, you know, with maternal health care, we could um, extend access to postpartum coverage. I think there's bipartisan support to do that. Um, you know, and those are relatively affordable. I mean, those are, you know, 20-ish million dollars a year to extend um, postpartum coverage. Um, and I think childcare, you know, we're looking at needing a pretty significant investment, um, you know, I think 300 million to um, really help make up some of those gaps. How do you summarize your top two priorities for use of that budget surplus? Sure. Uh, the first priority is, is tax reform. It's figuring out how do we fix the system that has overtaxed Wisconsinites by, by $7 billion. Um, granted, there are a lot of grand, uh, exterior forces at play in the last couple of years that helped increase the amount of money flowing through the state and through sales tax and, and other places that help build that, that surplus. But we have to recognize that that is not money that should be built into, we don't think, into the next operating budget. It's money that we should figure out how to give it back uh, to those that, that paid it in. So it starts with trying to uh, do significant transformational tax reform. 
Um, you know, we've put out a plan on eliminating the income tax. Uh, others are talking about, about a flat tax. The governor has his plan. I think we, maybe we'll chat about those in a little bit yet uh, today. But that's number one, is how do we, how do we fix kind of the, the structural system in the state so that we don't continue to take more uh, than what is being budgeted for. Second is education reform, you know, and, and really looking at a, a couple of key areas within education. Uh, how can we make sure that every student uh, is, is funded equitably by the state, whether they go to a district school or a, charter, a public charter school or a private voucher school? Um, and then the, you know, there's some really key areas within education, like literacy, you know, places where I think there's a, a good opportunity for bipartisan support. But how do we fix literacy? You know, we have just terrible outcomes in the state right now. Uh, we need to fix it uh, all over the state, public and private. Uh, really looking into some of the minority communities, though, where literacy is just you know really bad. And how do we fix that? And can we make targeted investments using some of this money to help get that done? Let's talk a little bit more about proposals around tax reform. Uh, you, Chris, you mentioned that your organization supports completely eliminating the income tax. According to the Fiscal Bureau in 21-22, uh, the individual income tax made up about 45% of general fund tax collections, which are that major source for appropriations, mm -hmm. how we fund different programs and services to people. What happens to state revenues if the income tax is, is completely eliminated? How do we support those programs? Sure. Well, it depends first on, on how that elimination would be implemented. If it is done all at once, which a $7 billion surplus would afford lawmakers the oppor opportunity to do that, um, there's, you know, we recognize there's probably still uh, a pretty big gap to be made there on, on the spending side. So the proposal that we came out with at the end of 2021, uh, working with economists at the UW, also included a sales tax increase. So we recognize that simply cutting one source of revenue without offsetting some of that all at once is not, is not a sustainable plan that's, that's going to work. So we advocated for uh, eliminating the income tax, slightly increasing the sales tax uh, to make up some of the revenue. With that, though, we recognize there's still about a three, three to three and a half billion dollar uh, Cut, tax cut that would be part of that equation. Um, if you bring it in over, over a longer period of time, then you certainly see that money working back in the communities. You see it, it working through uh, you know, increased consumption and spending and increased revenue to the state through that. So if you phase it in over time, uh, it's a lot easier to kind of make up that difference, particularly if you do include a, a slight sales tax increase along with it. So it's your organization's uh, position that state services like public health, schools, would not be negatively impacted if the income tax is significantly reduced? Correct. Mm -hmm. um, turning to you, does that surplus, $7 billion surplus, mean we are overtaxing Wisconsinites? Shouldn't a great portion of those dollars go back to taxpayers? So, a, you know, a large portion of that unexpected revenue comes from increases in federal funds related to the pandemic and um, increased money from sales tax. And so when legislators say they want to give that money back um, to taxpayers, you know, they're leaving out, um, if they're cutting personal income tax, they're leaving out 900,000 Wisconsinites who, make, who don't make enough money to pay income taxes, but are paying um, taxes in the form of sales tax and in the form of property tax, usually related to rent. And, you know, sales tax is a regressive tax, right? So that people who have the least um, generally end up paying the most of their percentage of income. And so, you know, if we were to explore kind of a, a new scheme around flattening the income tax, um, which 
does you know, go up as um, people's income rises, um, we would worsen racial and economic disparities and inequality in our tax code. Um, and the most important thing is we can't cut our way to prosperity. You know, Kansas tried um, dramatically cutting income taxes and um, ended up having to cut services. You know, and after five years, you know, the state came back and you know had to reinstate some of those taxes because they were lagging behind their neighbors. You know, let's learn from Kansas and not think we can cut our way to prosperity. Clearly, finding bipartisan agreement on taxes is going to be hard in the legislature. Just over the weekend, uh, the governor, in anticipation of his budget address this week, announced a 10% middle income tax cut. Is that something that your organization supports, or where do you see that going? So I think anytime you are reducing taxes on, on, on Wisconsinites, it's something that's a good thing and we support. Um, unfortunately, with the governor's plan, uh, while, while it invests tax relief uh, to, a, to low income, and we would agree, let's do that. Uh, let's figure out how to, how to make low middle income not pay any taxes. And we think even on the sales tax, there's a way if policymakers would be serious about it to not have that apply uh, if there was an increase to low and middle income. So we can get around some of the, the concerns about a sales tax increase hitting others uh, disproportionately. Unfortunately, in the governor's plan, though, it also included a, a significant increase of taxes on manufacturers and on uh, capital gains and really going the wrong direction on, on the very industries and, and people who drive our economy. So while it's cutting taxes for, for some, which is a good thing, it also is a bit of a wet blanket on job creators and investors uh, and, and will not do the transformational tax reform that we want to see uh, that you know, requires tax relief across the board, not, not picking winners and, and losers. So talking a little bit about the workforce, um, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the state's largest business organization, released uh, statewide survey results a couple weeks ago. They said 66% of businesses, about two-thirds, identify the workforce shortage as the state's top challenge. Would you agree? Is that the state's top challenge? I don't know if it's the state's top challenge, but it's, I mean, it's definitely up there. You know, I think that... Um, Wisconsin, we need to um, we need to address our racial inequality and econ e economic inequality. That's, that's the top challenge. That's really holding us back. Um, you know, the pandemic showed us that we are all much more connected than we thought we were, um, and it really laid bare many of those disparities. Those disparities are holding us all back, and we need to address those um, to reach our full potential. Workforce shortage, top challenge for Wisconsin. Yeah. Top challenge, and it, it brings in every other issue in, in our estimation. What what was you know was just talked about that that's part of the workforce challenge. It's how can we how you know to us workforce improving workforce is really all encompassing. How do we turn around uh, migration patterns so people want to come here? How do we fix uh, the workforce participation rate? We're at the lowest level it's been in in decades right now. Um, but as we as we solve issues and hopefully many of them in a bipartisan way on on taxes or getting into child care, getting into health care, education, that all drives back towards workforce and building a, a state, building communities that people want to stay here, that they can afford to stay here and that people want to come here. Right. We don't want people continuing to leave our state to Florida and Tennessee and New Hampshire and Texas. We want them to come here. We want people from Illinois to, to drive north. We want people from Iowa to drive east. We, we want people to come here and that, so that all relates to workforce, fixing Wisconsin, fixing our communities, 
all gets back to fixing workforce. We're looking at data on that exact issue of migration in and out of Wisconsin. It comes from Forward Analytics, which is a research arm of the Wisconsin Counties Association. Their report said without more people moving to Wisconsin, workforce would shrink by 130,000 people over the next 10 years. Uh, They also said Wisconsin lost 106 thousand more families than it gained between 2012 and 2020 over the previous decade. Um, Migration into Wisconsin was down nearly a third compared to the prior decade and down 75 percent from the 1990s. Uh, William, when you look at kind of those migration challenges and why Wisconsin is losing people, do you have a theory on why more people aren't moving or staying in Wisconsin? Well, you know, I think Chris said, you know, we need to make Wisconsin a place where people want to live and want to work and want to raise families. And we need to do that by investing in good schools and strong communities um, across the state, whether people live in Milwaukee or Rhinelander. Um, We also, though, you know, should look at um, repealing Wisconsin's abortion ban. I know we're not here to talk about reproductive health. But that's really important so that people can choose how, whether, and when to start a family. Um, And creating a system that allows people to do that and also helps people to take care of their children when they have them by having an effective and affordable childcare system is another way that we can make Wisconsin a place um, that people want to come and work. Chris, would you say that reducing taxes is needs needs to be how Wisconsin leads in order to address this migration problem? I think if we want to be in the national dialogue and the national discussion, it has to be. It has to be at least a top two item that we're working on, if not the top one. You look at where people are moving to, it's the states that have either no or very low income taxes. You look at other states in the Midwest, and right now, Iowa. Iowa's, uh, you know, they, they had passed a flat tax a couple years ago. They were looking to move to 3.9%. They're now debating the next step. They're already debating how to get to zero. So they have, uh, there's a plan on the table by their Ways and Means chairman uh, that would take that 3.9% flat tax and drive it down to zero over over the course of a couple of state budgets. So if, if we want to be at the forefront of, of that discussion, and we want to come through when people are thinking, where should we move to? We're remote workers now, where can we go? Uh, that That is a, you know, people look at their checkbooks, they look at their paychecks, and they, they're smart. They figure out where, where can we keep most money in our pockets. So it has to be a, a top issue, if not the very top issue that we're working on. How do you respond to that? I, I mean, I think that there are many different reasons why people... Um, choose to live in a community and um, you know having robust transportation systems having walkable communities um, having it's like I said strong schools and a robust public education system um, frankly being in a place that's welcoming um, to black and brown people who are coming here or are working here I mean there's a lot of things that we can do and you know change changing the economics is is only one thing that we could potentially consider, uh, but we have to make sure that you know we don't reinforce and make worse um, the racial and economic inequality in our tax system that's already there. And you know, already um, the top five percent um, of Wisconsinites pay a lower, you know, have a lower sort of total income ta- total tax burden than most of us. And you know, just doubling down on that is, is not going to help, um, and it's not going to help working families. 
Uh, clearly, we know workers face many challenges. Among them is child care. William, you brought that up. Um, it's a challenge both in Wisconsin and nationally. Uh, we've talked on this show about the significant child care crisis. We're looking at some data from Raising Wisconsin, which is a collaboration of Wisconsin organizations that are focused on improving child care access. More than 75% of surveyed Wisconsin business owners believe the economy is impacted by a lack of affordable, accessible high-quality child care. The average price of infant care in Wisconsin is nearly one-fifth of the median annual family income. A typical family with an infant and a four-year-old will spend one-third of their annual income on child care, and approximately 50% of the state and 70% of rural areas have no available child care providers. Um, the governor mentioned he wants to invest about $30 million in, to expand the child and dependent care credit. Do you, is that something that IRG supports? Certainly working on child care uh, and trying to find a bipartisan solution there is something that we want to be uh, part of the discussion on this, this spring. I, I don't know if that exact number is, is the right number, but, but I, I think it's an issue that both sides do need to come together on and figure out like how can we, how can we improve the situation. We hear that same thing uh, from employers and, and from folks all over the state. You know, as, as we logged over 5,000 miles last year, traveling the state, uh, closing the door and just talking with real people uh, all over the state on what they wanted to see, that's an issue that came up a lot uh, that needed to be addressed. So absolutely, we need to address child care. Um, whether the governor's proposal is, is exactly the right one, I, d I don't know. But let's get together and figure that out. Uh, does your organization support the child care dependent credit? Yeah, I mean, we need to do whatever we can to make childcare more accessible and more affordable and also more equitable. Are there other policy changes then specifically that you're hoping for in the budget or otherwise re with regard to childcare? Well, one of the things that's, um, you know, sort of related to childcare um, that is also a priority of Raising Wisconsin is um, addressing the state's maternal health crisis um, by extending access to postpartum coverage um, for moms covered under Medicaid know, to one year. Right now, you know, that um, Wisconsin only offers 60 days of coverage um, postpartum, which isn't enough to meet, um, you know, just regular uh, recommended follow-up visits. Um, and the state has severe um, racial disparities in maternal and infant health. And, um, you know, extending access to postpartum coverage would help continuity of care for mom and baby and sort of provide a part of a two-generation approach um, to helping to address and create you know, stronger families. So Chris, do you see room for a bipartisan agreement on solutions to the child care crisis specifically then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the governor's proposal on you know, extending the child care credit is Starting probably one. one uh, probably mm -hmm. talking about postpartum care is probably a second spot where, where there should be some place for agreement. You know, and then I think it goes back to a little bit more just on general workforce issues as we work on workforce. I mean, one of the issues with childcare, at least coming out of the pandemic, was not enough people, just like so many other industries, not enough teachers, not enough doctors, not enough childcare workers. If we don't have that workforce, again, taking this back to what we think is the biggest issue, it's workforce, um, we can't really fix, you know, having childcare tax credits doesn't matter if there's still not childcare access. So it's, it's kind of all-encompassing, trying to fix all of that. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a place there that uh, lawmakers and the governor should be able to get together and get some good wins for Wisconsin. 
You know, another theme that the governor has been talking about for his budget, which we'll see this week, is around mental health. He, in his state of the state, declared 2023 the year of mental health. He talked about it as a burgeoning crisis in Wisconsin. We haven't talked about that yet. Do you agree that mental health is a crisis in Wisconsin? I think I think we absolutely need to address um, the mental health needs of kids and um, families. Um, it is, you know, I don't know if it's a, a crisis, but it's definitely um, a concern, and we need to do a better job of making sure that um, kids and families have access to good mental health care um, and a continuum of options that are affordable and that are accessible. And, um, you know, we have some workforce shortages there too, right? So like Chris was saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you have health insurance um, if you can't find a mental health provider or you have an eight-month wait for a mental health provider. Um, you know, making healthcare more affordable is also one of the top priorities that was identified in that um, WMC survey. And those things cost money. Those things require investment. Um, so again, like we can't we can't cut our way to um, investing in you know a sound Wisconsin that is you know profitable for all. Uh, the governor has said five hundred million dollar investment in mental and behavior health. Is that something that IRG would support, or what is your sense for the state of the state in terms of mental health? Right. Uh, first, I'd say I, I think it certainly is a crisis, especially among school kids, right? When we look at uh, kind of what we're seeing coming out of surveys of kids and, and the uptick, uh, dramatic uptick in, in kids who have contemplated or even tr- attempted suicide. Uh, definitely, it's a crisis for that population. Um, and there's, you know, beyond school kids and the adult population as well, there's, there's too many people struggling right now. Um, so however we can, again, just like on childcare, I don't know if the 500 million, it seems like a, a large just kind of pick. Uh, so I don't know if that's the exact number, but yes, how can we get together and invest in, in fixing mental health? Particularly, we'd like to look into schools. How do you do more within, within the school system? Um, but then, you know, with adults as well, uh, how do we make sure that uh, the resources being deployed to help folks around the state are being uh, uh, properly deployed, that there's not duplication, that, you know, if somebody is getting service uh, in one county, that, it, that there's discussion, that there's you know, recognition that their care does not end at the county line, that we can, we can work across counties and kind of make sure that resources are being properly uh, used to assist those individuals. But yeah, th- it's, it's something that needs to be a focus uh, of the state legislature and, and the governor. And it seems like it is from both sides, right? There, there were bills agreement. last time that were vetoed. They were close. There was disagreement on funding sources. But in terms of putting funding into that area, there's certainly, it seems like, bipartisan support. So hopefully when we're talking again in July, we'll be talking about what was uh where, well, they're, where they met, right. yes. Uh, we've heard a lot over the last several years about inefficiencies across state government backlogs at DWD and unemployment processing, uh, licensing backlogs and problems at DISPIS. Uh, what are your thoughts on some sort of efficiencies that need to be gained in state government? You know, I think one thing that um, the legislature could do um, to help local governments sort of be more efficient um, is give them back their control. Um, you know, the state has um, passed many laws preempting local governments from um, addressing their community's needs, right? Local governments are closer to their communities. Um, local governments could make decisions about um, paid family leave or about, you know, a minimum wage increase. 
Um, and you know, that's one thing that would allow local governments to be more efficient and more effective. Um, and state workers, state, the state government needs workers um, to make sure that these programs are run efficiently and equitably and effectively. Um, and so, so support we, staffing right, increases when agencies request. Yeah, I mean, we need to we need to recognize that it requires workers to to implement these changes that we want. Biggest obstacles within state government that need to be corrected. I mean, a lot of the issues that have been born bare. Uh, looking at DVA, looking at, you, you mentioned unemployment insurance, looking at DSPS, really shows that we need a, a real uh, deep understanding of how state government is operating and how every dollar is being spent so that we can fix how that money is being allocated and make sure that we actually are providing strong services for the people and we're not misusing that money. I mean, we, when we look at how Wisconsin compares on spending, we're one of the higher spending states. We spend, according to Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, I think we were 14th highest uh, in the latest rankings that they have. You, know, you look at other states around us, no income tax states, they all spend a lot less per capita. So how can we go in and just make sure that every dollar that the state spends is going to all those, all those needed services and that we don't have just these delays and things that just don't seem to make sense to the, to the average Wisconsinite. Like why is a license taking so long? Why, you know, why can a, a doctor not get credentials through, like how do we fix those things uh, in a way by using current spending, which is one of the highest uh, per capita spending states uh, as it is currently. If you could make one prediction, greatest potential for bipartisan agreement in this budget, what's your prediction, William? Um, so I'm going to give you three, but I'm, they're going to be quick. Uh, <laughs> so I think we can address maternal health um, through extending postpartum coverage. I think we can look at um, increasing shared revenue so that governments can provide, can have the resources to provide safe and strong communities and services. Um, and I think that if um, you know the legislature is serious about um, not leaving people out of a tax reform and making sure that working families benefit and that we don't make the tax system less equitable, um, then I think there's a potential for some bipartisan tax reform. Do you agree with those predictions? You have your own three. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll I'll give two. I'll say the tax reform. I mean, the, the clear Some signs that something will happen reform. there. We <laughs> will be, you know, we're hoping we'll be pushing for it to be the most transformational that it can be. Uh, that that helps all Wisconsinites, uh, top to bottom in terms of income. Uh, second, I think there's just a real opportunity. I mentioned mentioned it before, but a real opportunity to get literacy fixed and to get Wisconsin on a path towards making sure that that school kids are able to read. Not only at grade, at grade level, but beyond. I mean, we, we shouldn't just be accepting grade level. We should be far exceeding that. If we get those two things right, I think we'll, we'll have Wisconsin really in a place where we can thrive uh, for the next generation. Well, I think we heard some themes of agreement here. So it, the show has been a success. <laughs> thank you both for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civic broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. <laughs>